All right, what's happening? What is going on? Appreciate you joining us for a recap show. Uh, it's just me this week. No Will, no Ryan. They will be back for the uh, Wednesday show here in a few days. But uh, just me today. Actually, I should say tomorrow. So here's what's happening this week. I actually, so I knew I was going to do this show by myself this weekend. Will and Ryan were out this weekend. So I recorded an entire show on Sunday and the whole fucking thing got deleted. The entire thing got deleted. So here we are. I'm actually recording this on a Tuesday morning because yesterday I had a whole bunch of other stuff to do and record. So I'm just going to quickly go over some of the biggest games. If there's anything I missed, I'm sure we'll recap that on Wednesday. Stay tuned. From now on, on Sundays, we're going to come out with a recap show. Will and I are going to recap the week before. But uh, very, very frustrating what happened this week. So let's dive in. It's going to be a quick podcast. And like I said, Will and Ryan back this week. So I'm sure we'll hit anything I missed on the main show. Let's start off with Oregon-Washington. This was a very good game. Both teams living up to the hype. Washington getting the 36-33 win at home. But my overall takeaway is that both teams looked very good. I mean, the first thing is Washington... I think it is now entering into the conversation of okay, they're legit, they're elite. We're not gonna question anymore if they belong, if they deserve to, uh, you know, to be here. But in that sp- uh, in that spot in that situation this weekend, I think Oregon was actually the team that kind of impressed me the most, despite the loss. Now, I know a lot of you out there may not necessarily agree with that, but. Um, you know, they looked very good in this game. They were on the road, tough environment. They actually outgained Washington by almost 140 yards. Total yards, 550 to 415. That's impressive from Oregon. Passing, they were very similar, 337 to 316. But the Ducks were able to run the ball for 204 yards, and they held Washington to 99 yards on the ground. So overall, I think we have two very similar teams, two elite teams, two teams who deserve to be in the conversation. But Oregon, despite that loss, I'm not writing them off. They still look very good. It was a road game, and uh, I think both these teams are going to be around at the end of the season. But like I said, good uh, good matchup there. Oregon, they're getting criticism right now because of the late fourth down conversion. They chose to go for it on fourth. And you know what? I'm actually not going to criticize Dan Lanning too much about that decision. You know, um, If he gets that, if they convert on fourth, he's a genius. And I don't like being so retroactive. It's like if these decisions work, the coach is a genius. If these decisions don't work, the coach is an idiot. I don't think it's so binary. I think it's very, very uh, nuanced. Now, here's the thing is if coaches make decisions like that, they leave it open for us to have this discussion. I remember Jimmy Johnson, the old uh, Cowboys coach, talking about you know how you don't get fired in the NFL? Do stuff that the fans and owners recognize well, right? If you get a whole bunch of penalties, that's something the owner is going to notice. If you get a whole bunch of false starts and substitution issues, and like that's what that's what the no, the owner is going to notice, or or any you know athletic director, any fan. Okay, if a left guard misses a block, most people won't notice that. Now, you could say both things are coaching issues. Both things, The left guard not doing his job is a coaching issue. The penalty is a coaching issue. But fans notice one of the two. So it's like, I don't think Dan Lanning or any other coach should operate because they're scared because someone who doesn't know football as well as them is going to judge them on a decision that they simply might not understand as well. So when this all comes back to it, I guess my point is, I don't blame Dan Lanning for going for it. He's got his analytics. He's got his decisions. He made his mind up. He's trying to win the football game. I've got no issue there. He went for the win, didn't get it, came back to bite him. But we shouldn't judge things retroactively. If a team goes for two and gets it, oh, he's a genius. If a team goes for two and misses it, oh, he's an idiot. Well, we shouldn't be so retroactive. Making good decisions will pay off in the long run. I don't blame Oregon. I don't blame Dan Lanning. If he thought, you know what, 
we give Michael Penix the ball back, he's going to score, we're going for it. Well, that's exactly what happened. So I've got no issue with it. Oregon gets the, or Washington gets the uh, 36-33 win. Right, let's move on to USC Notre Dame. This was uh, really not close from the get-go. USC did not look very good. Caleb Williams, uh, turnover machine this game. And uh, Notre Dame looked very, very good. So a few takeaways that I had here. Uh, you look at total yards. USC had more yards, 302 to 251. The turnover battle. USC had five turnovers. Notre Dame had zero. First downs, USC had 23, Notre Dame had 13. Now, I understand. If you're going to turn the ball over five times and just beg them to win the game, they don't have to gain all these yards, right? So it's like, yeah, they didn't need to, Tyler. I get that. I'm well aware of that. But the fact that these stats were so skewed, the fact that USC had five to zero turnovers, and in the fourth quarter, they were only down 11 points, I think this is actually... Not nearly as bad as a lot of people are making this out to be for USC. Now, look, Notre Dame's a good team. We understand that. I've had them rated around, you know, 9 to 12 in my power ratings all season long. But you don't turn the ball over five times any team in any situation and expect to even keep it close. So I understand why this happened, but I'm not about to blame Caleb Williams. I'm about to put the the blame on the offensive line, and I'm retaining my... my uh, faith in Caleb Williams. I still think he's the best quarterback available. I still think he's a great, great talent. He's going to go number one next year. He should go number one next year because you're hearing everyone now, oh, he's not as good. Look at Penix. Look at all these other players. I think you have one bad game. That doesn't define who you are. I'm not jumping off the Caleb Williams bandwagon, but this was a this was a game of bad mistakes, horrible offensive line play. And look, you got to give Notre Dame credit because they got the job done. But when you see five to zero turnovers, when you see one team with, you know, 23 first downs to 13. When you see a team outgain the... They allowed 250 yards, USC did. Now, again, it's not like Notre Dame had the ball that much. They had it for 25 minutes, but still, it's not, in my opinion, what everyone's making this out to be. USC had a horrible first half, ended up clawing back, making it a game in the fourth quarter before Notre Dame kind of pulled away late. So, overall, my takeaways are, I think everyone else is slightly overreacting to USC. I think we've got an opportunity to bet on the Trojans next week. Actually, they're one of my best bets. I put it out on the Patreon uh, uh, page. I took USC minus six. That line, I think, is already up to minus seven. So, we think it's a good spot this week for the Trojans coming back home after that. So, anyway, uh, good game for Notre Dame, but overall, my takeaway is Notre Dame Let's not overreact to how good, quote-unquote, they looked, and let's not overreact to how bad, quote-unquote, the Trojans looked. All right, let's move on to Miami and USC or UNC. This is a game that uh, Will and I agreed on. We both had UNC minus 3.5, and, and actually some Miami money came in late. This game closed 3, but uh, North Carolina gets the win and the cover 41-31. My takeaway here is UNC actually, I believe, does have a defense that that. They've had their ups and downs. We understand that. And they're not going to win because of their defense, talking about the Tar Heels. But they've gotten better this year. And I think some teams with the right situations, right personnel, right coaching staff, can make these kind of adjustments. North Carolina may be one of the most underrated teams from the start of the season to right now. They look very good. Mac Brown, a hefty, hefty Mac Brown is getting things done. It's my little jingle for him. Um, yeah, they're 6-0 this year. They look very good. So uh, Drake May, 17 of 33, four touchdowns. 
and zero interceptions. Team stats, let's see here. Total yards, pretty similar. UNC had over 500. Miami had 480. Uh, through the air, two, uh, 391. So Miami threw the ball actually all over the place, 391 to 273. But on the ground, uh, UNC 235. And then Miami only 91 yards on the ground. So that's really where the defense uh, showed up for UNC, stopping that rush. Uh, both teams not great in the penalties. Miami had 10. UNC had 14. Overall, though, uh, the Tar Heels get the job done largely because of some of those turnovers. We talked about turnovers earlier. Miami had four turnovers. UNC had zero. So it's not going to be much of a game when those sort of things happen. So UNC keeps on rolling. Let's see their schedule here because they're starting to make some noise. What do they have coming up? They've got Virginia at home, at Georgia Tech, Campbell at home. This isn't baseball, so they should win that one. And then Duke at home. Look, They've got a tough three-game stretch to end the season, talking about the Tar Heels. They have Duke at home, then at Clemson, at NC State. If they, if they go into those games undefeated, who knows where UNC might end up this year. But it's, it's exciting to watch what's going on right now with the Tar Heels. They get the win uh, 41-31 at home against Miami. And then finally, one quick game. It wasn't all over uh, everyone's radar, but I just wanted to talk about this Um Arizona at Washington State. I think, if anything, this is a very good reminder that every year, everyone does it. We overreact early in the season to these results. Washington State, a lot of people's, oh, look at Cam Ward. Look at this team's amazing. They're going to be top 15. It's like, no, they're good. They're not great. This is a good team. They're going to have ups and downs like any other team that isn't a top 10 team in college football, like any other year, right? And we talked about this, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, where we expect teams to just like be this 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 linear version of themselves. And that's not how it goes. When a team looks very, very good, very, very good, very, very good the first week, three weeks of the season, that doesn't mean they're going to keep looking very, very good for the perpetual, you know, for the, for the rest of the year. Washington State, great example. Everyone's buying, buying, buying. I mean, look, I don't want to put words in Will's mouth, but it's like, I'm sure if he had his power ratings, Washington State would have been one of the highest gaining teams this year before their loss two weeks ago uh, at UCLA, right? Everyone's shocked. Oh, they lose UCLA. It's like, okay, well, maybe they're not as great as we thought they were. Maybe they're somewhere in the middle. Maybe all these teams, aside from Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, so on, are right in the middle of where we think they should be, okay? Say, look at Oklahoma State. Perfect example of a team on the other side of the spectrum. People were selling their stock. They had a couple bad losses, and now they have a couple wins in a row. People, what's going on? I don't understand. They lost to do it. They lost to South Alabama. How did this? All these teams are going to have ups, downs throughout the season. We shouldn't overreact to a couple results. But uh, that's a great, great example for that point right there. Arizona destroys Washington State on the road, 44-6. Let's not buy or sell too early in the season and make our mind about any of these teams after a month, even though we all seem to do it every single year. All right, before we get out of here today, I want to talk about some of the biggest line moves for the week coming up. I know it's, it was a quicker review podcast, but uh, looking forward to the week ahead, two games that have moved the most. We've got an over-under in USF UConn. This has moved from 57 to 52. Again, South Florida at UConn. Opened up 57 for the over-under. It's been bet all the way down to 52. So that's the biggest line mover of the weekend. The biggest spread mover, or that's the biggest over-under mover, the biggest spread mover so far is Coastal Carolina. They opened up a touchdown favorite. They have been bet up to minus 10.5 at Arkansas State. So those are two of the biggest money movers so far. USF UConn, the over-under from 57 to 52. And then Coastal Carolina from minus 7 to minus 10.5 
at Arkansas State. Finally, last thing before we get out of here, I wanted to let everyone know market consensus right now, because it's always been a debate, at least this year it has, market consensus as of uh, October 17, 2023, the market has finally switched. They've got Michigan, the number one team. Now, this is market consensus. This is all the smartest people in the world coming together. They've now got Michigan, number one. Georgia, slightly number two behind them. So, uh, all right, that does it for today's show. Appreciate you listening. Stay tuned for Wednesday night, early Thursday morning release of this week's podcast. Hopefully, have a bunch of good games, have some bet boards on there, and have some fun things as well. So, appreciate you listening. We'll talk to you soon right here on uh, College Football Tailgate. Mm-hmm.